Welcome to Season 2 of Overcoming Working Mum Burnout. I'm your host, Dr. Jacqueline Kerr, mum, burnout survivor, and behavior change scientist. I interview international burnout experts, HR and DEI leaders, and lifestyle coaches to find out how we can create individual, organizational, and cultural change to prevent burnout. When mums thrive, the world benefits. Each week, when I interview a guest, I ask about specific solutions they recommend for overcoming working mum burnout. And while having ideas for what you can do is a start, as a behavior change scientist, I know how hard it can be to make a new change and develop a new habit that lasts long enough for it to become automatic. That's why I'm doing a mini episode for each guest on their suggested behavior change. If you're in an active state of burnout, managing your stress is important. And sometimes that means taking a total break, especially from any additional goals. Once you're rested, if you are seeking to take an active role in your recovery or prevention of burnout, then having a behavior change plan will help you make the most of your efforts and be more impactful. Last week, I learned about communicating through proactive and positive parenting with licensed marriage and family therapist Jennifer Kubler. As a reminder, Here's a few key takeaways from Jennifer's episode. Then I became a parent and I realized just what an important role that was and what an impact we have on both our children and in the world and that role and how much support we need, which I didn't have at the time. So part of what I do in my daily life now is what I wish I had when I was a young parent. Sometimes as adults, we're very self-critical of our own mistakes. We're totally fine with our kids making mistakes. We embrace them. We tell them it's okay. And then I'll say, okay. How are you when you make mistakes? And then they'll often grimace and say, oops, I'm really hard on myself. I'm a perfectionist. It's hard for me to make mistakes. And so that is where they recognize that our modeling is very important. Then once we see that we're doing that, we can have some fun with embracing mistake making and saying, oops, I blew it. That's okay. To really let kids know that even for us, it's okay. If you can help families to learn about mindfulness, uh, and practice it, it can do so much to help you regulate differently and help you be able to respond instead of react to things. So the power of co-regulation, the thing about being a parent is if we can help ourselves, uh, then we can help our kids by co-regulating. And this can even be true in married couples. If you respond differently when your spouse gets upset with you, if you engage, it's going to escalate. But if you can diffuse it and stay regulated yourself, there's so much power in that. If you can create a pause when you get triggered and we all get triggered and be able to just breathe, count to 10, use self-talk with yourself so that your situation isn't overtaking your sensible brain as a first step, that's just going to make you feel like you have so much more control of your environment and make you feel so much more empowered. And I think one of the most important things for people to you know, get help. We, I think we touched on this is just for people to understand that it's normal and empowering to get help. There's nothing wrong. We're all human. We're all flawed. And so working with someone, I think on anything that you're struggling with individually or as a family can only benefit everybody. The plan here will be focusing on counting to 10 when I'm triggered to help me feel more in control and less reactive. There are several steps to creating a plan that can help set you up for success based on behavior change science. I provide a sample plan to get you started. You can adapt this or create your own, 
but filling in each step by hand or on the computer will bring you closer to knowing what you want to do and what it will take to get you there. You can print out the whole plan or just focus on the reminders that you set up as part of the plan itself. You can download the plan from the episode website, drjacquelinecurr.com slash podcasts, or find it on my LinkedIn post. To start, it is important to set a goal that feels motivating, related to a state that you want to achieve. That gives you an identity you want for yourself. So the first response to submit is what I want to be. Here's the response for this week. I want to be able to recognize when I am triggered and to be able to pause and regulate my reaction so that I remain calm and in control. I want to feel empowered that I understand when I'm irritated, allow myself to feel that emotion, but rather than suppressing or reacting to it, I count to 10, which will calm my lizard brain down and allow my thinking brain to re-engage. Being specific in each step helps. The next step gets into the details, the what. This is the action you want to take. So here's the response for this week. What? Recognizing when I'm triggered, stopping and counting to 10. I can even do this aloud in front of the kids to more proactively model that I'm feeling an emotion, but taking a pause to self-regulate. They will realize the consequences of the behavior, i.e. that I'm triggered, but learn that I'm working on my side of the equation. And thus, I also expect them to be working on their behavior. The next few steps are key to the implementation plan. When you complete these details, it helps you create a plan that gives you enough detail and ideas to get you started. The when, where, with whom, for how long, and how often helps you create the specifics of the goal. These details act as reminders. When a certain time comes around, you remember to do the new activity you are trying. You can also choose times and places that are anchored to something you do daily, like having a coffee. Then the act of drinking coffee reminds you to do the new behavior. Having a small goal is important, so these steps also help you keep it realistic. Here's the responses for this week. When. When I'm triggered. I need to learn. Are there times when I'm more likely to be triggered? When I'm tired or stressed? Or are there behaviors that are more likely to trigger me? For example, repeated behaviors, like not being ready for school. What are the feelings I experience when I'm triggered? Anger, fear, resentment? How might my trigger be related to something in my past? Where? There might be places that I'm more likely to be triggered, and that being in that place can be a reminder to stop and count to 10. For example, in the car. I don't want to explode while I'm driving, but I'm also not able to escape the situation. So counting to 10 here would be helpful. Another time or place I get triggered is in the kitchen, when I'm doing chores and feeling a bit more resentful. With whom? There are lots of people that can trigger us. Often triggers from our parents are easier to recognize, as we've had longer to establish them, and they're likely closer to the original cause. The main time we want to model counting to 10 and regulating a trigger is with our kids because they are not likely aware of the original cause and not meaning to trigger us. 
being messy or ungrateful are definitely triggers for me. For how long each time? Counting to 10 each time I'm triggered, for example, by my daughter's messes. If you're experiencing something more distressful, then excuse yourself and really take a time out to give yourself a longer break. How often per week? Some triggers could be as often as daily. Others are less common. Starting by tracking what your triggers are and when and where they occur will help you set up this plan. You can also ask someone else you trust to help you identify your triggers without judgment. They may notice when your reaction seems an overreaction or something they would not be upset by. For how many days per week? I would pick one type of trigger that has a clear common time and location and work on that one for at least two weeks before trying to work on other less obvious triggers. If the trigger is happening daily, then you'll have at least 14 times to practice during this period. Some daily habits can take 30 to 60 days to become automatic. So many of the details we've just completed can be entered into a schedule or planner so that you have regular reminders. While you're developing a new habit, frequent reminders keep the activity top of mind. So we also need to think through other ways of setting up easy reminders. So here's the response for this week. Reminder. If you have identified a location, like the car, where you are often triggered, then placing the reminder there will help. A sticky saying, count to 10. I've also asked my kids to remind me to count to 10 when they sense I'm getting angry. If there is a person who particularly triggers you, or an object like mess for me, then use that object as an association in your mind to count to 10. By this stage of the plan, you'll be starting to think about what is going to get in the way of you actioning this plan. A lot of resistance can arise. Try to put it all down so you can come up with ways to overcome these barriers. For now, we won't try to address them. We'll keep setting up parts of the plan that will give you confidence you can master this new activity. And we'll address the barriers later. Here's the response for this week. Anticipated barriers. I won't realize I'm overreacting as it's such an ingrained behavior. I won't have the patience to count to 10. My kids need to know what behaviors they need to change. An important part of a successful goal is accountability. How will you keep yourself on track? We'll talk about tracking tools next, but having an accountability partner is a great way to get support for your goal. So here's the response for this week. Accountability. I will tell my kids and my partner that I'm trying to recognize my triggers and count to 10. I will ask them to remind me of this, maybe not in the moment, but later when I'm calmer. I will ask them to help me count and to let me know if my change in behavior is also making a difference in their lives. Do they feel less stressed when I am more calm? Tracking is important to see if you're meeting your goal, to help you gain a sense of achievement and to help you adapt your goal as time goes on. There are lots of easy ways to keep track and doing this also prompts you to keep doing the activity. It also serves as a reminder. Here's the response for this week. Tracking. Starting to track when and where and how often the trigger occurs is an important step to being able to recognize the trigger, to start the count to 10. Once identified, 
tracking how often I succeed in remaining calm will also be important. There will be times when I fail, but keeping a tally will help me see some success. Tracking triggers will also identify behaviors that I really want the kids to work on. Not everyone needs a reward for achieving their goal, but sometimes celebrating and acknowledging your achievements does help keep you motivated. If you do not need a specific reward, having a reminder of why this goal is important will help reinforce your ongoing efforts. Here's the response for this week. I think counting to 10 aloud will be one of the best ways to reinforce the behavior. It will make it more known to myself and others, which will help others positively reinforce my successes. Associating my successes with 10 other things I enjoy might help reward me. For example, 10 hugs. Now let's plan to overcome some of those barriers. Hopefully you have enough ideas about positive things you can do to support your goal that these barriers seem less influential now. But take each one and come up with a counter plan. While new barriers can arise at any time, realizing there are things you can do to counter them helps give you confidence to get started and resilience to keep going. Here's the response for this week. Overcoming barriers. Asking others to kindly point out times when they notice that I'm less patient and calm so I can start to become more aware. If counting to 10 is too challenging at first, then taking a deep breath. But asking others to count with me may also help make it more doable. Realizing which behaviors annoy me most commonly will not only allow me to work on my reaction, but will also help me spend time with my kids brainstorming how they can also regulate their behaviors in the way I'm trying to do too. Finally, as your plan is outlined, you are likely to need help with some parts of it. We have already thought about an accountability partner and some goals will involve other people. Here you're thinking about the practical help you might need so you can focus on your goal when you have planned to work on it. So here's the response for this week. Getting support. Getting the family on board with these efforts will hopefully make it more noticeable, more effective, and more fun. But if you become aware of more serious triggers, then discussing these with a trusted, confident coach or therapist can help. I know such a detailed plan may feel like a lot, but as a busy working mom, you probably know if it does not get scheduled, it won't just happen on its own. Even spending time thinking about the plan will have solidified your resolve to work on it, and you're more likely to succeed. I have really noticed that my husband has gotten much better at stopping and counting to 10. He announces it too. I'm going to count to 10 so I don't lose my temper here. There are many times when I'm patient, so I suppose I'm counting to 10 internally, but then I do tend to still become that exploding doormat. I need to find a way of recognizing that I'm frustrated and hurt, because that is more likely to be my trigger than anger. I often realize it afterwards, admit my mistake and apologize, as that is another behavior that has value and is good to model, owning your mistakes. But this week, I'll be trying to be more proactive and count to 10. I'm going to use Catherine's messes to help me with that as a prompt. When I see it, count to 10. And don't forget, T 
teaching your kids to feel their emotions and counting to 10, not to suppress the emotion, but to recognize it before reacting is also helpful. Good luck with your goal. I hoped you liked this mini episode as a follow-up to the guest episode. Please leave any feedback on my website, drjacquelinecurr.com. And please remember, burnout can be related to serious health problems. If you're experiencing physical or mental health symptoms, please contact a health provider or call the appropriate helpline. This podcast does not replace medical advice. Take care. Control your